Welcome back to another episode of The Hillary Show. I'm super excited to introduce you to Lady J. She is such a such an inspirational person you're going to hear from today. And really the question I want you to have kind of going through your mind is, what does forgiveness look like to me? Because we talk about forgiveness and we talk about grace in this episode and how can forgiveness and restoration with self and with those who I have either wronged or who, who those who have wronged me, what does that look like in my life? And is my lack of forgiveness, sometimes I think of myself, of, of yourself, is it holding you back? Because talking to Lady J, and I think as you listen to this, there's this incredible thread through her story that is a thread of forgiveness and that forgiveness is tied to her really relentless grit in life. You're going to be touched by this. You are going to, there's some mic drop moments in this. You're going to really be touched by. I will also say that there's a conversation in here. It's not super graphic, but if, if talking about suicide is upsetting for you or perhaps not appropriate for young ears, if you're listening to this on your commute with the kids, this might be one to come back to, but this is real raw trauma conversation with an underlying theme of forgiveness and overcoming and that overcoming is really amazing. So I can't wait for you to give it a listen without further ado, Lady J. Lady J is in the house. I'm so happy that you're here on the Hillary Show podcast. It's so lovely to meet you in real life. Now, I read your introduction. I think that it does not capture all of who you are. So my ask is, and I hope it's okay to put you a little on the spot, is you tell me about you because there's a lot to you, my dear. <laughs> I mean, as I tell everybody, I mean, basically to sum me up in where I'm a community leader, community servant leader, I'm a, before I do anything else, I, I serve others. I love to serve people. Um, it's just a part of who I am. It is who I am actually. So, I mean, I'm, I'm an author. I'm a mom. I am a mentor. I'm a speaker. I'm a, a serial entrepreneur. I'm known as the bounce back queen and aka the master bathologist and i'm pretty sure with some of the questions that you're going to ask people will get to know why i've been dubbed that <laughs> uh, throughout my entire life i have had to constantly bounce back from severe traumas and hardships and things of that sort so i mean yeah. I, I i love business i have always loved business um since Ooh, since I can remember as a little kid, like maybe six or seven working in an office or helping my mom when she was a secretary at a church. So business has always been my thing. It's like a fun hobby for me. I love it. Now, one of the, one of the things that you do that's, I want to kind of start with the cool stuff you're doing and how you're uplifting other people. So we can mm -hmm. then also kind of go back to where this love of service of others and community of other ha others has come from. But one of the things mm -hmm. you do right now is host a awards show for other community leaders called rise up. Tell me a little bit about how rise up came to be. And you have a whole host of people from, it looks like all over the United States who are nominees. And I don't know if at the award show, you recognize the particular winner, or how that works. 
but it looks like the, the hype of it. I have FOMO just from like watching the, uh, the teaser on your website. So tell me about rise up. Re-up. Re-up. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's okay. Uh, so re-up, you know, stands for release, recoup, remind, remix, and then repeat. And so basically we just, you know, recognize and encourage those who use their gifts, talents, you know, business to empower, educate, support, uplift others, you know, in their communities all over. So, yeah, I mean, they can be creatives, they can be, you know, CEOs, entrepreneurs, you know, it it really doesn't matter as long as whatever they are doing is benefiting others and helping others in some shape, form or fashion. And yes, myself, along with nine other women across the nation came together to create this platform. It's been a few years in the making. And it's not just an award show. It's also a community platform, a national community platform where people can come together and network. They can gain access to different resources and tools for their businesses or for you know their initiatives or whatever the case may be. Uh, we literally just opened up our directory, our resource directory. So people can now from all over bring your friends, you know, anybody that has a service or a product that they want listed on here, then you're able to do that. And uh, we will be also utilizing that directory to be one of the go-to places for another platform, platform called Second Chance Saves Lives. And so that platform is actually a TV show and production platform, but it's also a nonprofit and it will actually be airing on my television network under my multimedia company, uh, as long as well as A&E networks. And that platform has a TV show that has people come on and tell their story who need a second chance at life. So mm. the person was homeless and they're trying to get back on their feet, or maybe that person, you know, lost a job, whatever the case may be. Maybe they're fresh out of, you know, jail for something and they are doing re-entry. So this will be a resource directory for that platform as well. And really for anybody. So it's just a way for everybody to also gain access to, you know, different types of organizations and services and products that maybe they didn't know that was out there or maybe they felt like was not within their reach. So that is something that we opened up. And it's also an academy, just like you would the the academy for the Oscars, for instance, or the music academy under the Grammy. So this is also something that we created where we went ahead and officially created the Community Service and Leadership Academy. So people are able to become members and membership will open up at the end of the month. So April 30th is the day that that will open up. People will start to go ahead and sign up to become members. And again, they will gain access to things like discounted tickets on different events. We have workshops that award show, of course, every year. Also brunch. So uh, the brunch was a hit. It was like the the highlight of the weekend. Everybody is still talking about it. (laughs) And so people got so much out of that. It was so much fun. It's not like your average brunch, definitely not like your average panel. We wanted things to be really interactive and personable. So there are some clips out there. There's some pictures in the media. You know, of course, it was uh, aired across all or actually published across all major media, you know, around the nation. So it, it was really a delight because it did, 
I'll say much better than I thought it would be the first year. But then again, like I said, I'm, I'm really well connected because of what I do in the community and with what I do in the media. So that was a plus. And then I'm really connected to some really, really dope women. So all of the, the committee is, is, is amazing. It's awesome. And people also get voting rights. So when you become a member, you only pay one fee a year. You, there's a, I think it's like $75 for an organization and $35 for an individual. So where can people find out, where can people find out more about this? They can go to reupexperience.com. Okay. Yes. Awesome. Thank you. Not rise up. My bad. Re-up. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, Re-up this is so up. cool. I'm in, you know, this podcast is primarily audio. So no one can see, but like my face is starting to hurt, just kind of smiling at listening to you describe this stuff because normal people, myself included, you know, we might think of these cool ideas, but what's kind of like just making me uh, feel lit up for you is just like this woman has had this idea. She surrounded herself with other women and then they're just doing the thing. They're just doing the thing. And I'm always really inspired by people like that um, because I'll come up with a neat idea, but the execution and the implementation might just die on the vine. So that's pretty awesome. <laughs> Talk to me about how a, a woman, a girl, I don't know when you were homeless, but how you go from pretty what most people would consider in America a rock bottom like that to having a TV show on A&E to being really well connected and having your own media company to, I mean, all the things that are kind of you got as your credentials and then just who you are. How do you go from these two points? So uh, first, let me just uh, say that I carry, will be carrying a product that will be airing, airing on A&E. So another platform that I partner with, they are actually producing the content. My platform will be carrying it. So (laughs) I understand these, these things matter because you don't want to, I'm I'm doing enough already. I I want (laughs) to, I want credit for what I'm doing. I don't need to overinflate anything. So thank you for, thank you for having me. That's fine. Uh, so I became homeless for the first time, actually, when I was 15 years old. So I was put out of the home by my mother um, for protecting my siblings. And my my life story is out there. This is really how this all got started. Uh, and my story spread like wildfire, you know, and it's a three-part series. I took the first two books um, down because I just finished two books. But after the aneurysm, God had me repurpose it if you will so it's going to be all in one so i i am the goal is to release that by the summer and and that's going to be called indestructible it was previously called life support um and so instead of breaking it up into three parts because everybody's asking like when is the next book when is the next book um i'm gonna just put it all into one big book finale so my life is still going of course it will forever be being written but those three, we put it to one. But once I released that, it really spread like wildfire. And I started getting a lot of invitations to do interviews about my story on different television and radio shows and things of that sort. And, you know, being homeless at 15, you know, was a, it, it was very difficult. At 15, I had to, you know, get a job, not because I, you know, not because I, you know, like most kids, because it's a privilege, because I had to, I had to take care of myself. And um, I was roaming the streets for about three days, you know, sleeping wherever I could. 
And then I also became homeless as a parent a few times on and off. Uh, once I was pregnant, along with having three kids and one on the way. So, you know, I uh, um, my, my upbringing was very rough and traumatic. I endured a lot of sexual abuse, neglect, abandonment. The list goes on. I, you know, I've tried to commit suicide four times. And all of those things really looking back, I'm glad that it happened just because I would not be able to be the type of, I say, mentor and guide to at-risk youth like as I am today, because I can identify with, you know, where a lot of them are, the things they're dealing with, you know, parents who are drug addicts and, you know, things that sort of being, being addicted themselves to certain things. I can identify with all of that. So I'm glad that it happened. And really, it was, I really can't explain because even now today, I'm just like, I cannot believe where I am versus where I know I was mentally, emotionally, you know, even physically or, you know, financially. It just, it really blows my mind because even when I didn't want to be kept and when I couldn't keep myself, God was definitely keeping me. So it was kind of like my life was being driven on autopilot, but it wasn't me driving. So that's the best way I can describe it. But I did have to do a lot of work on myself, you know, to get to a place where I was okay mentally and emotionally, especially for my children. They became my saving grace, if you will. And so, you know, going through a divorce, you know, getting married, having kids, going through divorce and all of that, you know, being in a domestic violence relationship myself after growing up in a domestic violence situation as a kid was just, you know, repeating the cycles. And so I had to do a lot of work on myself. It took a long time. I mean, like years worth of work to get to a place where I knew who I was, you know, what my purpose was, what I wanted to do with my life. And I was determined to like lead by example and not repeat a cycle, not keep that cycle going. So that's the best way I can. I, and then hard work. I'm a, I am a, I used to be a workaholic and I say used to because part of the reason I suffered the rupture brain aneurysm was because I was a workaholic. So I have learned to say no, you know, and to know what my limitations are now I really don't have a I don't really have a choice if I want to literally live and continue breathing on this side of heaven. <laughs> so I have to be very mindful about what I'm doing because I still have the aneurysm in my brain. And so I, I there are things that I can no longer do because the damage that's been done is there. Um, there are some limitations and some disabilities that I have, but um, I still thank God that I'm able to, you know, talk, walk, you know, whether for however that long that may be during the day still have the activities of my limbs you know I'm still in my right mind so yeah I <laughs> I have had to do a lot of adjusting to the new norm but and here I am here I am now here like I can't are. take credit so I can't take credit for everything instead of that way yeah I love that um, I love that you regard your kids as like your saving grace. Cause I can relate on a lot of levels with my kids and I have four kids too. Do you have four kids or children? Yeah, you got four kids. Um, when you were describing the second chance show that you're working on, the word grace is what came to mind and reading about you and watching you on social media and preparation for our podcast today. Grace seems to be, if you talk about bouncing back, 
a lot of times we bounce back because of grace, a lot of hard work and a lot of resilience and a lot of grit go into mm-hmm. bouncing back. But to be the bounce back queen, you have to, I would imagine, be good at giving grace to yourself too. How do you do that? <laughs> How do you do that? Oh no. So I'm not even going to act like I do give grace to myself. No, I am extremely hard on myself. I will say that because when I was younger, you know, I was told that I would never be good for anything but to lay on my back. And I was, you know, nobody would ever love you. Nobody's ever going to want you or keep you and things like that. So that stuck with me. And so that is something that I internalized and I believe. And my grandmother, you know, she became my mom, my grandmother, my godmother, and uh, the things that she instilled in me. I think those were the things that kept me from crossing certain boundaries, if you will, from like, even though I experienced the worst of the worst and definitely hit rock bottom, I think that is what her and her prayers are what literally like help me together, if you will. And so even when I made mistakes or I knew something was wrong and I'm trying my best to get up and try again or get up and do better. And I still was hard on myself because I'm a perfectionist when it comes to certain things, just because there were a lot of things I felt like I needed to prove to myself and to, you know, my parents, you know, who weren't there and who said, you know, what I would never do, what I couldn't do. And it wasn't until recently, really, that I began to learn really how to extend grace to myself because I'm I'm good with extending grace to others. But when it comes to me, it's like there's no room for, you know, there's no room for too many mistakes or, you know, to be messing up in this area or to do this or to do that. So I had to, in, in accepting the new me, meaning, you know, grieving the old me, because I know that a lot of things had changed after the aneurysm, things that I used to be able to do, I can't do. And so that is kind of like you lose, you lose a lot of yourself, you know, and you feel different. And even though some other people may not recognize those things about you, you recognize it, you know, it's there. And so when you mess up, or you can't do something, or you're limited, you are hard on yourself because you know that you can, you know that work, what you were able to do in the capacity that you were able to do it as quickly as you were able to do it before. And now that you can't, it's like, uh. <laughs> but um, I'm learning how to do that. And for me, I think telling myself that it's okay. It's not that you can't do it. You just have to figure out a way to how to do it differently. And even if you mess up, they're still used to have the opportunity to get up and try again and keeping the same level of accountability and responsibility. You know, when you mess up, especially when it involves other people, I think it's big when extending yourself grace as well, because then that gives you the means to continue business, friendship or whatever type of relationship while you're in that transition phase or while you're trying to recoup you know, from that quote unquote failure or mistake is really not a failure if you don't 
it's only a failure, I should say, if you don't get up and try again. But so, yeah, <laughs> that is what I'm that's what I'm learning and actually applying it because the applying it part is difficult. That that's yeah, the whole. I feel like it's one thing to know it in your head and it's another thing for it to move down to your heart because uh, I can I can relate with what you're talking about where like you can give so much grace to other people and oh man, I hate it when someone's awaiting a for, uh, like my forgiveness. I want to just give them my forgiveness right away because I hate that feeling. But I will mm. withhold my own forgiveness for my to myself for a very long time. And I will replay what I have done. And <laughs> usually it gets worse and worse in my head the more replays mm. that there are. So, I, I mean, I think grace is so important, especially when we hit rock bottom and it's time for us to go be what we were made to be versus what we have been. And it is hard for it to move from the head where it's like, I understand it on this academic level, but then applying it in my life to me is hard. It's really hard. It's definitely. Yeah. When you talk to teenagers, sometimes I think that we, I really think that we sell what we need or we're giving what we need. Like our life's purpose is actually perhaps what we need the most. I wonder if you feel that way as well when you're talking to other kids and when you're uplifting other community leaders and you're seeing that, you know, is, is there a, is there a sense of uplifting them helps you as well? Oh yeah. I get joy out of, like I said, I get joy out of serving others, out of helping others. It's definitely, I really can't describe it. It it just gives me the feeling of I made a difference and I also get to be a part of their journey and have possibly were the missing link to what it is that they were looking for. So that's what I get out of it, you know, when I'm able to do that. Yeah, I think we're all, all of us, I read a book many years ago. I, I think I was in marriage counseling or some type of personal counseling and I was living in, we were stationed in Korea at the time. So I remember the book distinctly, but it was called The Search for Significance. And so much of what we do in our life, we're, see, we're seeking that significance, that feeling of like, I'm adding to the the earth while I'm here. So I know what you mean. Um, yeah. What has made you stay determined even through medical challenges, through the, you know, and I actually really want to ask a different question. I believe that a lot of times the more unkind the voice and the harder the experience, it's like there's an equal part of us that's great. So I really think that the people I meet who've been through some of the hardest stuff in their life they actually mm-hmm. have even more capacity for greatness. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. I I was always told and taught and we hear it all the time. And it's something that you can actually see when you look around and you hear different people's stories and you see the things that that they're doing or the things that they've accomplished. The more I'll say the more that an individual encounters challenge wise, the more greater their calling, if you will, and the greater the blessing and the longer that usually takes for them, for everything that they were destined for to manifest. And that's something that I'm, I'm figuring out. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, I can't even, I just came up from air for, for air. And then here comes something else. <laughs> so, and it's been that way my entire life. 
And it's never anything small. It's always got to be something big and grand, you know, that <laughs> that happens. And it's like, oh, my God, like things. I don't know so many people that would be able to walk in my shoes and would still be here to live, to tell the story or be in their right mind. You know, I, I've met a lot of people, a lot of people, and everybody has a story. Most people that I encounter, they will tell you that maybe they, you know, were addict, uh, addicted to something, or maybe they were, you know, in a domestic violence relationship, or maybe they were homeless. Or maybe they, I, I don't know anybody that has encountered just about every <laughs> negative, traumatic experience that you could think of in one lifetime. In a short amount of time. I, I don't know anybody that has done that and has lived to tell the story. Like um, there are just, I think there are things that God allows so that we have the necessary tools and resources and wisdom to help the next person that we come across, you know, that may be experiencing those things. Because I, I honestly believe that everything that we go through is not for us anyway. So it's it's not just for us. I think if we kept that in mind, then we would not, a lot of people wouldn't be, I'll say, quick to just completely fall apart when they're experiencing things because they know that this is a temporary situation. What is it that I need to get out of this? You know, and a lot of times, some of the situations that we find ourselves in, we put ourselves there because of our own choices and our own decisions. And that's another thing. Anytime that someone goes through anything, one thing that we have to remember that's very important is to self-reflect because then that keeps us, I'll say, honest, if you will. <laughs> and that keeps us on the path of growth and we should always be evolving. And so, because if you're not learning from the things that you are experiencing, then you're going to find yourself constantly in the valley state. You're going to learn it again. Yeah. It exactly. You'll never experience a mountaintop. You, you, you know what I'm saying? So that's extremely, extremely important. So yes, I definitely agree with that. And at the end of the day, some people are going to do greater things than others in their lives. Some people's footprint is going to be a whole lot bigger and deeper than, than others. And that's just the reality because we're all called to different things. But each person is valuable. Each person's calling a purpose, just like the body. Each body, our body has a million and one functions. The eyes are just as important as the mouth. But to be honest, without the brain, everything is dead. So the brain is the most important thing in the body. If that's yeah. dead, you're, that you don't you're not alive that's it <laughs> you know right that's the reality and so some of us are brain some of us are our mouth some of us are our finger you know some of us are arm but in order for all things to work properly we have to work together please god let me not be the butthole yeah <laughs> well but that gives although it is critical <laughs> critical to survival <laughs> it is because if that doesn't work then you're bound to die <laughs> Absolutely. I was like, I thought at first I thought, oh man, I hope I'm not the armpit. And I was like, actually, I think I would take the armpit over the butthole. <laughs> oh my gosh. So when people hear this, they think this woman is amazing. And she is, you said at the beginning that you've had to do a lot of work. What does that mean for you? How you've had to do a lot of work to get to where you are now. What's your work been? So I had to do a lot of self-reflecting. So um, let me see if I can just 
run through this really quickly. Hopefully you all can follow me for your listeners. Buckle so, up. Here we go. <laughs> so being a, a, a young person that has experienced, like I said, I grew up in a household where there was domestic violence. And I'm not talking about just somebody getting shoved or punched. I'm talking about bloodshed, fist fights, everything. You know, uh, I, I was taught how to cook crack cocaine at the age of four, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah. literally just, it was a lesson. So, you know, um, when you go through things like that and then, you know, being kidnapped, raped, molested, just, you know, more than once over and over neglected, you know, by your parent, uh, being given away to the state, just dropped off at a children's bureau, you know, oh man, I mean, homelessness, being addicted to sex, being addicted to, uh, opioid, uh, you know, I used to be on a pill and then I got addicted to that. And this is, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And when you have trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma, and then you get into a relationship before you even know yourself, you haven't dealt with any of that trauma, you looking for somebody to save you. And that ends up being worse than all of the trauma put together that you just came out of. Like it, it just, it, <laughs> It really gets you to a point where you do, you break. And where I broke was, at, I can't remember how old I was. I think I was probably like 21, maybe 22. And my older two children were six months and one year old. And when I tried to commit suicide in front of them by slitting of my wrists, I thought slitting my wrist this time, I would definitely not wake up. But calling someone to come and get my kids before I did that, so they wouldn't be in the household with a dead parent. They showed up with help, like they showed up with the ambulance and the police. So the minute that I put the knife to my wrist, they were like knocking down the door. And so that again was God showing up, <laughs> you know, in that moment and being on the psych floor at the psych ward. You know, I, he he literally spoke to me and was like, "I've told you no. You've tried this so many times, and I keep telling you no." You know, so some of us are a Moses and I realized that I was a Moses. Moses didn't have a choice. Some of us, we can say no, you know, and we suffer the consequences. I don't, I didn't have that choice. <laughs> like I, I'm going to do what it is that he put me on this earth for and that's it. <laughs> Nobody else can do what it is that he called me to do. And so once I decided that I was going to accept that, I had to find something that would take my mind off of trying to rid myself of the pain. Like I, I had, I was, I'm, I'm in my early twenties and I'm, nobody has ever gotten me help for anything that has ever happened to me or any, you know, none of it. And so I decided that I didn't care what I needed to do, how long it took, how hard it was. I was going to figure out how to do it. And so I did, I, I signed up for a 12 step program. For it was called Victims to Victory, um, through which through the church that I was at, and I finally opened up about everything, you know, with everyone, and about the things that I was deal had dealt with in my marriage, and things that happened to me that was done to me, you know, there as well, and that is where my journey started, and so I started to reach out for help. I I stopped reaching out for help because when I was telling people what was happening, hey. I'm, you know, I was raped or, hey, I was molested or, hey, my mom, this is what's happening at home, being running away. Nobody would listen. And so I just stopped talking. 
nobody would listen. And I felt like I didn't have anywhere to go. I could only protect my siblings, you know, it's so much. And my voice was silenced. And so I resorted to the suicide attempts over and over again, because I, I didn't know any other way to stop it. <laughs> and so when I went to that program, that opened up the door for me. And the most important thing, and I can't speak for anybody else, but I think for me, even though my grandmother taught me a lot about God and the word, it was one, it's one thing to know of God or of Jesus, but it's another thing to actually know what it is to develop a relationship, your own relationship. And that is where it began with me. That is when I started to figure out that everything that I was looking for, the things that I needed, it could only be found through my relationship with him. The healing actually took place when, when I decided to really take my healing process serious. Then he started sending people into my life that could help me along the way to teach me certain things. My godmother, you know, she was in the Navy for a long time. So she was not present a lot of my childhood. And when she found out what happened, like it really just broke her heart and she took me in and she taught me about forgiveness. That is how I learned how to forgive. I forgave my parents and, and things that I started and literally I felt a weight like lift off of my shoulders that I, I hadn't felt ever in life, you know, and that's a lesson in itself. That's that's actually one of the one of the sessions that I do in my bounce back program when I'm working with at risk youth and families. And so because without that, you're not going to be able to go anywhere in life. You cannot have restoration have without it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's something that you're going to have to do repeatedly in life whether you're forgiving others or forgiving self and forgiving self, as you said before, that is the hardest thing to do. The hardest thing for you to do is forgive yourself. Um, I, I had to learn how to forgive. I did that program. And then I started accepting correction from other people. I had to start learning how to ask for help. I was very prideful because I was always, always felt like I was a burden. So I didn't like asking people for help. I didn't want help from anybody. On top of that, I started to just surround myself with people that would teach me everything that I needed to know about, you know, being a, a mother, because I wasn't raised with a lot of like affection outside of my grandmother and my grand, because my grandfather died when I was like 13. He was sick for most of my life. So I didn't, I grew up with a lot of affection. So I had to learn, you know, learn these things and learn um, more about myself and come into understanding who I was. And then I had to go through the process of extracting everything that was poured into me verbally. Yeah. And replace that with positive affirmation. Yeah. So that I can start to believe the opposite, because if you lose the battle in your mind, then your actions are going to follow. But if you win the battle in your mind, your actions are going to follow as well. So I had to start telling myself, you know, no, I can, I will, I am, Mm. you know, those things. And so those are just some of the steps that I had to take. And I had to do this consistently. And oh, it's not, it's not over here anymore. So I moved it to my bathroom, but I have what's called a strength wall. And it is just a collaboration of like, well, as you can see here, your listeners can't see, but it's affirmations, maybe some scriptures and things of that sort. And I sit there and I read those things into myself still to this day. It was even more after I had the aneurysm because I just felt less of a mom, less of a woman, less of a human being, because I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I can't do that. Certain things, you know, my kids are now taking care of me. I'm only, I was only 36 and it took me two years to recover. So I'm just like, this is, I don't like this. <laughs> so I yeah. had to start thinking those things to myself because then I, I had been to, I 
went back to a place that I said I would never go again. And it wasn't that I wanted to kill myself or anything. It was just like being severely depressed. You know, when you can't walk, you can't feed yourself, you can't talk, you can't do any of those things you get, <laughs> you know, like I'm too young for this. But then you start to think about, you had all of these warnings before and you didn't listen. And so now these are your consequences. <laughs> and so those things that I, the steps that I took then helped me now. So every time that I encounter a trauma or a extreme hardship, I have a toolbox that I can always go into and utilize for transition. And I say that, emphasize that because I want people to understand that there's a difference with coping and overcoming. Because in society and in the mental health world, and I'm also a psychology major, so uh, I do have a degree in psychology, <laughs> We are taught that coping, you know, it's good to have coping mechanisms and there's always a sometimes a behavioral contract or some type of uh, coping contract that you use for people who suffer from depression and things of that sort. But that should never be the end result because it doesn't have to be. When you cope with something, you accept where you are mentally, emotionally, and you learn how to coexist with that. That's not living. That's coexisting. But when you learn that you are you have the ability to overcome and you get to that point now you're living because now you have taken back control and now you don't have the prop pro, now the problem doesn't have you you have the problem it becomes a part of your story but it's not your identity it doesn't become your identity and so those I've never heard it put this way so it is coping is not overcoming mm-hmm. coping is not Coping is coexisting with mm. that, with whatever it is that you have. So good. So what a lot of people don't realize, depression, depression is a symptom. That's not the problem. So too many times I had, so what I did was I did the surgery. I did the work. And so you can't put a bandaid over a bullet wound. Yep. Uh, depression, uh, addiction, suicidal ideation, all of those things are symptoms. There are symptoms. symptoms of a problem. You have to go to the root. <laughs> you have to yeah. go to the root of the issue and you have to extract that. And then you're able to heal and overcome. Since that time, when and my, my older two now are 18 and 19, I have never thought about killing myself since then. Mm-hmm. Not once. Mm-hmm. And I've been through some things since mm-hmm. then. It's well, not one time. You know, after that, uh, so many things that, you know, have happened. And that was in my early 20s. I'll be 40 this year. And so it's possible. It's just a matter of you have to connect yourself with the right people. No one program is going to work for anybody. You may take some bits and pieces from Lady J's program, from Sue's program over here, from this person's life experience and that person. You put it all together and that may work for you. But there's, it's not cookie cutter. You know, not everybody needs medication. Again, it's just a matter of doing the work. And uh, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm sorry, but I will say that you cannot, you cannot overcome without some form of, I'll say, relationship with your a higher power. I don't care who it is or what it is that you believe in. For me, it's God, Jesus Christ. Because there's no way, there is no way. There are some things that have happened in my life that you cannot explain, that I, I just can't explain. Like I said, <laughs> uh, there, I shouldn't even be here. Most people die within the first 48 hours that have a ruptured brain aneurysm. 
you know, I was asleep right before it happened. So I should be still, I would have died past in my sleep. <laughs> there, there, are just, there are just things that should not happen that we cannot describe. So without him, you just, I'm sorry, you can't. It, that component is necessary. Do you think that you had postpartum depression when your babies were one and six months? I, I do think, I, well, I know I had it with my um, son. He's my second child. My first child, I don't, I don't know. I looking back, I probably did. Mm. I know I had it with my my son because I cried a lot, like for no reason. I just knew it. But I was also in a marriage where I think it it probably overshadowed it because when I tell you that I went through every shape, form, and fashion of abuse you could imagine, I did. Mm-hmm. I mean. It was his, it was his, you know, it was his joy to, you know, make my life a living hell. It it just was. And so, and and the funny thing is, this is what forgiveness does. (laughs) He was absent for the first 10 years of our kids' lives. And now, now we're not friends, but we are definitely great co-parents and we get along. And a lot of people look at me and they're like, how could you? Why would you talk to him? Why would you interact? It's not about me, first of all, because regardless of what he did to me, even though he wasn't a good father the first 10 years, for me, that was very important because I knew what it was like to grow up without a father. And God allowed me to create a village for my children to make sure they had some type of father figure. But when you forgive, you take your power back. Like that person doesn't have control over you, the things that they did to you, the situation really as well. But for those people who have children, you know, it's important that you do the work so that you can be a good and effective parent and also understand that your children are not, they're not pawns and you are still going to be held responsible for how you raise them for the things that you did for your part, you know. And so for me, it was just important for for them to have a relationship. And so and now don't get me wrong. It was not an overnight process. <laughs> Yeah, it was not an overnight process. It took about seven years. Yeah, seven years for me to get over that, for me to get through to the get through all of that and get to a place where I could understand that, listen, you know, <laughs> it's it's really about my children. And you know, you don't have control over me anymore. So, you know, I just need to do what I need to do for, for them. And that's it. So Bounce back queen or forgiveness queen? I mean, I know bounce back queen is catchier, but I, I'm in <laughs> awe. I love it. I love it. I have a really close friend who she had gotten a divorce from her kid's dad and he needed a kidney. And I don't know the details of like what led to their divorce. I've never asked, but she was like, when I found out I was a kidney match, it was a no brainer for me. I, I knew I wanted my kid's dad to be alive and he needed a kidney. So she gave him a kidney. And I'm just like the, the capacity of, I know, I know the capacity (laughs) of humans to forgive the capacity of humans to hold resentment, which just like makes us sick is Mm -hmm. I guess equal to the capacity humans have to forgive. But this is a, Mm -hmm. an amazing, I watched something earlier and it reminded me of something I heard in church when I was a kid, but your test is your testimony and your testimony is so rich because you have been tested, Lady J. (laughs) 
Oh, yes. Oh, yes. My yeah. second husband, who was the father of my younger two children, I didn't give him a kidney, but I did open up my home when he was homeless. Mm. And he was the reason that I was homeless in 2012. Wow. <laughs> he literally stole. He cleared you never know where you may have to walk back to. Yep. He cleared out my bank accounts. Why I didn't know he was taking the rent money and cashing in the money orders himself for three months. I had no clue. I was on my verge of buying a home and everything. And I woke up one day, my cars were gone. I was locked out of my office and all, I mean, it was. You're not kidding. <laughs> and you're like, no, I have, I literally am the bounce back. You, you are not kidding. Like most people really do go through one of these things, maybe two, maybe five. Um, when, yes. when, what are you reading right now? I love to ask people this because I always take down notes and find cool books because I love to read or what are you listening to? It sounds like you're a visual and a, a verbal affirmation person. So what are you reading right now? Uh, cause I want to so, know all about it. So right now there's a, I don't read a lot per se. I have to listen more than read because of my eyes, the damage to my eyes, but uh, what I'm listening to, I guess you can say, is right now I I do what it was called a devotion thing, like through the Bible app all the time. So right now I'm on like this 31, I think it's a 31 day devotion. I forget, I forget the title of it. My my short term memory is not great. No worries, no worries. <laughs> but it's right now the devotion is about um, realignment, if you will, some type of story, a scripture, and you know, some action steps in this particular one. And then also there's a book by one of my friends who uh, has a book about uh, boss, boss ladies uh, need a break too. And so I'm, I'm reading that <laughs> as well. And yeah, that's, that's mostly what I, and then of course, a lot of psychology, since I'm wrapping up my last three classes and my master's for my psychology degree, I have a bachelor's already, but so yeah, that's what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot there. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Where can people find more? I know that we talked about your, your website already, but on social, where can people find you? What are what I think Instagram seems like the easiest place to find you. Yeah, I got a lot of social media pages because I have a lot of <laughs> but if you want to follow me personally, you can on Facebook. I, there are two pages. So um they've turned my personal page into a creator page or creators page or something. So you can go to Jacque Lente and follow me there. That's J-A-C-Q-U-I-E. L-Y-N-N-T-E. And uh, everybody calls me like J because, of course, I just pronounce my name and people jack it up a lot. <laughs> so, I was going to say beforehand, I thought it probably was Jackie, but Jayquee is actually more accurate phonetically how it's spelled. Yes, it's it's pronounced exactly how it's spelled. And uh, so, yes, Jacquee Lente, and, or you can go to Lady J Brand. It's my, my page is Lady J, but if you go to at Lady J Brand on Facebook, you can find me there. Also on Instagram, it's ladyj.co, ladyj.co. On LinkedIn, it's Lady J. Okay. I love it. Lady J, you're a gift. You have made this lady feel better. Uh, (laughs) I got the chills a couple of times and, you know, this is, people need to hear your story and they need to feel that uplifting. And my hope is that people will hear this and think that it, I guess, a source of inspiration. I love it. When we first started 
I will say that I was like, Hey, don't be humble. Tell me everything about you. And you're like, no, I'm a really humble person, but I'll do my, I'll do my best to, you know, spill the, (laughs) spill the beans. And you are, I think that's, that's actually what's so for me, what's my big takeaway is like, this is a woman who has achieved so much and you're just walking around doing your thing. And there's no, I guess, chip on your shoulder about it. And there could be, there could be. And instead it's just like, I went through all of this, like bring it on. But at the same time, I'm just a piece of the body here to do a greater work. So I'm very inspired by you and grateful that we got to meet. Yes, thank you for having me. And I'm actually glad that you stuck with <laughs> stuck more about, you know, me just sharing my story and the, and the the questions that you ask. Cause oftentimes I do get asked a lot about like some of my accolades and my awards and you know, what's it like to be on red carpets and all this other kind of stuff. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care this is about that. I mean, this is awesome. You know, it's great. It's what I'm a part of, you know, what I do. But I'm like, I'm, I'm always looking to like inspire people. And, and I guess it's a, a part of people being able to see, hey, this is what could be on the other side, because if I can do it, then so can you. Absolutely. And, and uh, so, yeah. And, you know, something I would I always like to leave with everyone when I do an interview is something that I leave uh, at the end of my show, one of my shows as well. Is that um after all of the hell you went through, the word through is an indication that you have defeated the impossible too. New adversities will come, but overcoming them has already made you unstoppable. The favor over your life incomparable, which gives mm. you the right to think and believe I'm possible. Mm, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm immediately thinking of one of my best friends who she's really been uh really been thinking about the word unstoppable lately. And so this is, that's really resonated. Thank you so much for joining us. And I can't wait for this episode to drop and our listeners get to hear it. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed that, please share with a friend, send them a link and a message that says, I think you'll get value out of this and we'll see what happens. Thanks so much and have a great day. I'll see you next week on another episode of The Hillary Show.